the DE CFS podcast, in conversation, in lockdown, chatting virtually about all things creative with some of the leading figures in the field. So listen on, be inspired, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the DE CFS podcast. Here, we're chatting all things creative and aiming to give a bit of an insight into the creative industries. My name is Georgia and I'm the Head of Fashion for DCFS this year and I'm talking with designer Pangea Kali Berger all the way from Miami today. Pangea was featured in our 2020 show and we're now featuring her again with her new collection Inner Compulsion for 2021. Pangea's work has featured in numerous publications such as Vogue Italia and most recently she's exhibited her first fibre art exhibition at the Miami Beach Botanical Garden. So thank you so much Pangea for, for agreeing to talk with me again today. Um, for anyone who's interested in hearing more from myself and Pangea about sustainable fashion, make sure to stay tuned for um, an upcoming article, which is going to be coming out in Threadprint later this month. So, how have you been since we last spoke? <laughs> Hi, Georgia. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me and for chatting again. Uh, it's been like a wonderfully busy year. Um, you know, obviously the pandemic has really shifted kind of everything. But it's been a, a wonderful learning experience, to say the least. I was really interested to read about uh, your latest solo exhibition of fiber art at the Miami Beach Botanical Garden. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe tell me about how, uh, how you find fine art and fashion design are interconnected for you. Well, I think uh, they're kind of one and the same. I've always argued that fashion design is also art. Um, and... <laughs> you know, I, and especially fine art. I think both fine art and fashion design really help move culture and give voices to marginalized thoughts or peoples. Um, and just like in general can really help shift uh, the mindset of large swaths of, of individuals. So I think also it's, you know, visually inspiring, it's interpretive. There's a lot of overlap between the two. Yeah, I think it's like a pretty natural evolution. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I was I was going to say, obviously, last time we spoke, we actually discussed quite a bit about how Inner Compulsion was really inspired by fiber art because it was it was really yeah. inspired by Bauhaus, wasn't it? So I was wondering mm -hmm. if that was kind of the progression that took you into fiber art or you were interested before. I, I really only became aware of fiber art like I knew it always existed but I really only started like visiting fiber art exhibitions like in museums fairly recently within like the last few years and I think that really opened up my eyes as to like what this realm of the art world can really be and it ended up really yeah just kind of deeply inspiring my own my own fashion design work and uh yeah, it was the the president of the botanical garden had come into my studio and was like, you make beautiful fiber art, like you should do something for us. And I was like, yeah, you're right, I do. I do do fiber art. And uh, that's kind of how that was born. Oh, wow. Okay. So for those who don't know, <laughs> could you maybe give a little bit of a, what? so what is fiber art? Yeah. So, I mean, ugh, it's kind of hard to define mm -hmm. in some respects because so every fiber artist that I like is does such radically different things. Um, I think fiber art is very often kind of like lumped into the like craft category. Um, but, you know, it could be wall hangings, it could be weavings, 
I consider like rug making, fiber art, really anything that would uh, deal with with fibers, uh, which is really, really generally varied. Um, and fibers can range from wool to corn husks. It's it's really it's hard to define because it's so it's so massive and interpretive. Okay, I see. So kind of the fact that your garments are, as we when we discussed last time, a, a wearable piece of art. That's why they are kind of sit on the boundary between art and design sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No, that's really, really interesting. Um, and just to kind of follow up on on this, I was reading about your, uh, your solo fiber art exhibition and how you've conceptualized the exhibition as a call to action. Um, so yes. I was kind of wondering if you could maybe talk about how important art and design are to make environmental and political statements. Definitely. Big question. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, uh, you know, art, art and fashion is like really responsible for a ton of, of call to actions and, and also like perspective shifts. I think so much of art is just to like force you to think about things differently. Um, and like awareness and education are like the first steps to action. Um, specifically with the series that I just completed, my first art series, um, it's titled Heavy Reckoned to the Earth Much. And it's a call to action to just kind of be more aware, not just of um, your impact on nature, but also understand that like you are, you are nature. Like we've created... And I'm, I think we probably talked about like atomization and like collectivism in our last chat. Last, <laughs> I'm still on that tip. Um, you know, kind of trying to show people that it's you are respecting yourself by also respecting nature. And like you can't create these like delineations between you are here, humanity is here, and nature is on the other side because that's literally not how the planet works. That's not reality. And so through this series, you know, I was, I was combining the work of um, Walt Whitman, who's a, a famous American poet, and he has this like really incredible book called Leaves of Grass. And it's just kind of um, an overview of America, like in, in its essence. And a lot of that does include the many beautiful natural landscapes and just, once again, this harmony, not even this harmony, this like complete unity of nature and, and humanity as a whole. And then also a lot of the pieces that I made were like these big wall hangings. So they were using the words of Leaves of Grass, these excerpts as the text on these wall hangings, but they were reminiscent of protest posters. Okay. Yeah. And then also everything was made out of upcycled materials donated to me by the community. So it's also kind of proving to, to people that like your trash can also be a new beautiful thing and trying to show like a circular kind of uh, production loop or a circular economy mm-hmm. um, and integrate that back into, into art and just kind of yeah, give, give people examples like this is totally feasible and doable and like you are contributing to this and like we can all be a part of, of this you know, kind of closed loop system. And that's, that's really interesting as well. Um, I was recently involved in um, a fashion revolution panel, which was really all about hammering home um this this connection between the human and the environmental and humanity and the earth and the way that um that different uh different rights are completely interconnected so forest rights mm-hmm. um human rights 
Um, so I think this is something that people are more starting to think of rather than seeing both things as like a split between, oh, there's the environmental side and the humanitarian side of kind of climate crisis. So mm-hmm. it's really it's really interesting that, that this is something that you've been thinking of as well, because I think it, it must be that, that this is something people are really thinking about, that everything is really interconnected. We can't keep living in this really delineated nature humanity yeah, yeah. these like segmented realities because like yeah there's it it's got to be more integrated um so that's really really mm-hmm. cool um so uh i'd kind of like to ask you maybe a little bit more about uh sort of how you got to this point of being now an established designer artist stylist um and you've been featured in in so many different publications could you maybe tell me a little bit about how you kind of got to this point, um, your sort of like career uh, to this point? Yeah, I went a really non-traditional route, like completely. Like when I graduated from FIT with my womenswear degree, I was like, I need a book, like I'm gonna farm. And uh, and I did. Oh, wow. (laughs) And um, I moved around. It's funny, like I'm from New York City, like I went to school there born and raised, and that is in many ways the fashion capital of the country that I'm from. And I left. (laughs) Like everybody goes there for their career. I'm like, I'm leaving. (laughs) So um, in some respects, I, I really made this whole journey like much harder for myself because I moved from city to city. I'm very nomadic and, um, you know, I kind of have to restart every time I go somewhere in a way. So really like the, the answer to this is I have created like a foundation within myself of like so many skills (laughs) that I've learned by just pushing myself into these experiences. And if those experiences don't exist, like making, making them exist. So For example, uh, when I moved to Miami, I realized that there wasn't really any binding event or community for the local fashion industry here. And, you know, I I could have just sat around waiting for somebody to do something about it. um, Or I could just make my own fashion show and organization. And I did that. And um, through that, you know, I was able to make so many friends and like make that community like it was just absolutely incredible and connect so many people together um, to continue, you know, collaborating even beyond the events and, and fashion shows that I was putting on. So I, I would recommend like things like that. That's kind of how I've gone about things. I've been really self-directed, self-guided, and everything that I do is really collaborative. So it's constantly creating this like ever expanding community of like, basically this, these are my friends at this point, you know, um, of people that I respect and admire and just continue to collaborate and create with. And it's it's kind of exponential, like opportunities become exponential at that point. And, um, you know, being my own boss, I really push myself um, in really any way that I, that I, that I want. And uh, I constantly experiment. I think that constant, uh, self-expression and and experimentation has has gotten me to where I'm at Uh, that's really really cool um because often you think that that the the way you do this is is, as you say a very traditional route that gets you you know you go to fashion school you intern 
Um, so you yeah, finished fashion yeah. school and then went to work on a farm. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah. I went traveling. Um, this is so kind of embarrassing in hindsight. I got a one way ticket to Burning Man. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, and then yeah, I didn't. I didn't really come back. So I I don't think that's embarrassing. I think that's cool. That way. Yeah, 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 totally. totally. I think getting a one way ticket anywhere is, you know, you've committed. So I don't think that's like most of my tickets are one one way. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's no, that's cool. I think that's cool. Um, well, I mean, I was going to follow up with, do you think kind of getting your traditional like arts education, arts background is, is an essential part of being involved in the creative industries? That's a great question and something that I feel like I kind of waffle on my answer. You know, I also uh, give like private sewing lessons and I do sustainability workshops and things like that. And a lot of my students are people who like want to be fashion designers, but did not get that formal education. And I, you can argue it both ways. Right now, I'm in the headspace that the formal education for specifically for fashion design is really integral. Um, I have such a deep understanding of garment construction that I think otherwise might be difficult to get without some sort of formal training. Even if you're not going to college, getting some sort of lessons or something, um, just not being entirely self-taught, it really does make a difference. And and I think having that um, very in-depth knowledge of garment construction and and textiles and fashion history and all of those things has made me the designer that I am and allows me to experiment with ease. Because I have this comfort already with the basics and the foundation, I'm able to experiment a little more freely. But you could also argue that if you don't know anything, everything's experimentation and you're like extremely creative, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now at this point, I, I'm actually even considering like going back to school. Oh, I, like, wow. I, I miss it. I miss it. I was like, oh, maybe I should get my master's or something in uh, in fashion design and see if I can like push my skills even further in like a directed way mm-hmm. so that I can experimenting even crazier, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's what I was, I was going to say. I remember last time we spoke, you had said that um, the way you constructed garments was not along the lines of your traditional training because you had it. So you were able to kind of subvert it. And that's kind of what mm-hmm. you, you've, you've hammered home here. Um, I think, I don't know, I've got mixed opinions as well. I've heard mixed things. I don't know if you know, but I did actually go to art school for a bit before dropping out and going to do something academic. Um, and I do always think, oh, what if I had stayed and I could, cause now I want to, I want to be involved in the creative industries. I'd love to get some sort of job in fashion and I've got a completely irrelevant undergrad degree. So it's that's why I added that question in because I genuinely wanted to know as well. Um, and as I spoke to you last time, I, I think I might go and try and get some sort of arts education now once I finish yeah. my undergrad. So, yeah. I also, I think experience is also just as valuable as school. Mm-hmm. I, think, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you decide not to go to school specifically for something, then you really have to like completely dedicate yourself to the experience of it to get that real world knowledge, right? Because that's like what school is. School is just real world knowledge uh, kind of catalyzed, mm-hmm. just like they just like condensed and just given straight to you. 
So I think that like you don't necessarily need it, but you have to like just dive just straight in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To get that experience. And you've already like made so many moves within the like especially the sustainability fashion sector. Like you have a ton of a ton of experience <laughs> that like school wouldn't give you necessarily. Like you gave that to yourself. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Well we'll we'll see. Um <laughs> So I was, we've kind of touched on this as well already, but I know uh, mm-hmm. you've previously spoken about uh, being very nomadic um, and that being like integral to your life. Um, so I was going to kind of ask specifically how your nomadic lifestyle has influenced your creative career. And if you could tell me where you think your favorite place you've lived is so far. Wow. Um, okay, let me do the first one. So I think a nomadic lifestyle has affected me as a person in in so many ways. I don't even know if I can really get into it, but as a fashion designer, I definitely have a different relationship with clothes through being a little more nomadic. Even just thinking about packing and like understanding like, okay, if I'm packing something, then I'm going to be carrying it around potentially multiple countries. So, <laughs> you know, just like finding a wardrobe that is very me like but also extremely ergonomic and lightweight and uh multifunctional and i think like very often i'm gonna go on a little tangent here very often when people think of like that uh like staple wardrobe they just think of like neutrals Mm -hmm. and i'm just here to say that like that does not need to be the case because like my staple wardrobe is like insane (laughs) like absolutely creepy (laughs) but like it works it works for me um, I don't think there's any neutrals in there. So it's all sorts of wild things. Um, so I think thinking about clothes that like work for you um, is something that's like really important and that's really guided by that lifestyle. And then also just kind of like seeing what other people wear around the world and just like different traditional garments and like how that's reflective of their deeper culture. And then also thinking like, how are the clothes that I'm making reflective of like my deeper you know, my deeper culture, where I came from, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And then, yeah, have a different living in different places and designing for different, different groups of people in different contexts has also broadened my understanding of what design can be. Like when I was in Vietnam, you know, like in FIT, they don't teach you anything about Asian slash Eastern fashion, like at all, mm-hmm. at all. Everything's just like so European. And uh, living in Vietnam and designing there, like I was completely introduced to a completely different style of, of clothing and val- and a value system um, that was radically different from what I was familiar with. So those kinds of things, yeah, just broaden my understanding of what clothes can be, what they mean to people, uh, things, things of that nature. And then my favorite place, I love everywhere like so much for, you know, a variety of different reasons. I think, and this is gonna sound silly, but I think like the most formative place for my design career was Kansas City, Missouri. Oh wow! Um, the opposite of a fashion capital, you know. There's like a really in- deeply entrenched, ingrained art scene there. Like they're very supportive of the arts, like extremely. It's kind of awesome to see, like mm-hmm. an entire city just be like, "Yes, we love art," <laughs> and like for local art. Like, it's awesome. It's awesome. And um, I was just given a lot of opportunities in the time that I lived there uh, to do things that 
you know, I don't think anybody would have given me the chance to do if I was you know, 20 in New York, mm-hmm. you know, just like curate whole fashion shows and like mm-hmm. do crazy outfits that take up like entire um, mansions, you know, just like just crazy, crazy stuff. Cool. And and I guess similar to what you were saying earlier about about Miami being that you saw that there was a gap of there not being a coherent place for fashion design and you kind of were able to make that which is really cool Mm -hmm. yeah Um, exactly I was also going to say because I am really interested in this capsule wardrobe and I I agree it's a little bit of a tangent but I'm interested as well um a capsule wardrobe (laughs) being all like uh you know blacks and neutrals um and I completely agree that that is not necessarily what what anyone like staples in fact I wrote an article about this staples are subjective um yes and so it's really interesting to hear that from you as well because I completely (laughs) agree that you can be uh really really selective about what you buy and what you wear but it doesn't mean that it all has to be neutrals it doesn't mean that all has to be like you know black and white for it to all go together um so I think that's really fun and also I think having like statement um staple pieces that you put all together they're all statements (laughs) yeah so I think it just it just makes it's just fun it makes dressing fun I know we talked about this last time we spoke but um like when you dress to to make yourself I think you said something like to make yourself bigger than you physically are um yeah and I really liked that idea that the way you dress can have like a huge impact on kind of the way you present yourself and definitely just yeah. the way you are in society. Can I tell you one thing that I have in this staple wardrobe that I think like beautifully encapsulates it? Mm-hmm. So when I was um, 12, I got this beautiful red silk chiffon that's like kind of wrinkly. Um, it has this beautiful like crinkle texture, but it's so soft and like lightweight and sheer and it's cherry red. And it's this like kind of Indian tunic Mm -hmm. and it has these big white um, hollow like outline circles on it, like almost like bleached throughout. And uh, then there's all of this like heavy embroidery at the cuffs and at the neck. And it's like this deep low neck and these kind of bell shaped cuffs. And it's it's a yeah, kind of straight, but form fitting to like the knee. And there's like a high slit on either side seam that comes like a little below my butt. Mm-hmm. It is the least uh, like quote unquote classic piece. <laughs> I've been wearing it for like what, 18 years? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's been all over the world with me. And just like so many of those kind of quote unquote capsule pieces that I that I cherish so much are, are equally as, as weird and radical mm-hmm. as that. Oh, I love that. That's that's really like going into the um, the kind of loved clothes last sort mm-hmm. of uh, oh yeah totally. thing. That's really really cool. Totally. Um, I I hope I'm gonna have that. I feel like I've definitely got a lot of old pieces, but the issue I have is I have bought a lot of vintage probably in the last like five or so years. So the pieces themselves are really old. Um, yeah, but I don't know if they've necessarily had enough time to like make these amazing memories that say yours have, and they haven't been all over the world with me yet. Yet, so I'm hoping they will. That's that's the plan. <laughs> right. So, I think let's maybe have a. Uh, can we talk about the um, the two looks that you're you're uh, kind yeah. of making? I have for... them right here. So let me look at the. Um, so Pangea has very kindly offered to make two looks for this year's uh, 2021 show on the theme, uh, The Power of Technology. So I was wondering if you'd be able to tell me uh, 
how you went about designing those pieces um the sketches look like so cool so thanks so much for yeah those over. <laughs> yeah you're welcome so I personally am a hippie and I understand that like technology is deeply ingrained in my, in my life as well as everyone else's. Um, you know, it makes things like this conversation possible. Um, and yeah, I have, I have a love hate relationship with technology, but these pieces were for me trying to encapsulate the connectedness that technology facilitates. And I wanted to just kind of create like a literal like web, like this actual, like visually a network. Um, so it's like a bunch of grid, grid like shapes and um, these structures. And then there's a second piece that has all of this, all of this kind of like fringe, very long, long, long fringe. And I'm just thinking about like all of the, the wires and like the physical trappings that make the internet um, which is like kind of invisible and magical to the, you know, normal user, but is actually just like this massive network of like very physical, uh, energy, pretty energy consumptive things. <laughs> that's really, that's really cool. I, I, I hadn't realized that that was what the, the net was. And obviously that really fits in with the, the final, the creative vision for the final walk, which is, uh, going to be reconnected, which is all about, um, the, the good that technology can do for us and how it connects us all, as you were just saying. So the final walk is supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be reminiscent of this technological utopia. So that sounds really, really great. Um, and I'm really, really excited to see the pieces um, when, when they're done, because they look like they're going to be really cool. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited to see them finish too. <laughs> oh God, have they, has, it been a, has it been a struggle? No, no, no. It's just, um, I mean, every, everything's, everything's a process. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I just finished collecting all the, all the fabrics for them and just like doing all the, all the cutting because all of that fringe is a uh, hand cut. Oh goodness. Well, I'm very excited to see it. They, they look really <laughs> cool. Um, that's really exciting. And so we kind of touched on this as well earlier. Um, but I was going to say, cause I've obviously seen that you do run these, um, decorating and mending workshops. Yes, um, I think yeah. this could maybe even build off what we've already said about the um, the kind of significance of fashion and art uh, on an environmental and political uh, level. So this was more inspired by uh, recently having a look through uh, Orsola de Castro's book, which has come out about mending your own clothes as a revolutionary act. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, so I was going to kind of ask your thoughts on why mending and personalizing your clothes is is so important. Oh, I love this question. <laughs> I could go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to sustainability, you know, everybody has different opinions as to where the outlines and boundaries of it are and what it means and blah, blah, blah. But really, I think it like kind of boils down to just like use what you have and stop buying stuff. <laughs> And um, from the consumer level, obviously, if it's a different story governmentally and um, for big business. But uh, yeah, just take take what you have and, and make it make it work. And I think, you know, by personalizing your clothing or by mending it, um, you're creating these like mental and emotional bonds with these pieces. And I think that is like the key to getting people to keep things for their entire life. Um, or give it, you know, keep it for as long as possible and then pass it on to a loved one. 
Um, I think sentimentality is so important um, to creating to creating those bonds and like having experiences in those clothes is like a good way to do that. Like if you bought it, you should be wearing it, right? Like go wear it to do something cool, like take yourself out on a date or like go to an art museum or, you know, go on a hike, like have just have an experience in these clothes because then when you look at these clothing, they will be basically uh, like, um, like a memory book, right? Because you're like, oh, I, I wore this thing to do this thing. And, and it becomes um, like symbols of your life in a, in a way. Like when I look at my closet, I'm like, wow, like it just, it's like opening up a big box of memories, like a journal in a way. Um, and I think also, you know, like passing things on between friends and, and family is also really important. You know, very often people just buy, 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 buy. And then they're like, oh, I don't wear this anymore because they like wore it once or whatever. And uh, <laughs> and then they like dump it off at, at Goodwill or Salvation Army. I don't know what the equivalent is um, over where you guys are, but, you know, the, a big thrift store. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, very often that like is not going back into the community. That's just kind of going to other countries that are already overwhelmed um, with secondhand clothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, like global south countries so i think just kind of mending your clothing yeah creates a deeper connection with it and personalizing it makes it special to you and I, that's kind of like what everybody wants anyway right it's like this very preferential exclusive like this is just for me kind of kind of treatment it's like do it yourself mm -hmm. definitely <laughs> and also i um i've been reading lots recently about kind of obviously the rise of depop the rise of of secondhand mm. shopping and and how this is linked to kind of uh specifically gen z but i it definitely goes wider than that a real want to to not necessarily follow trends blindly but to have an individual style because that is now what is the trend is trendy to not look like everyone else um and i think that's really interesting and there's definitely a lot more nuance to that than i've just said um and it's something i've really been thinking about as well but i think as you were saying, like mending, personalizing your clothes forms this this emotional attachment to them. And that is gonna yeah, be the best I'm, way. To, to... I'm probably a deeper understanding of your of yourself in a way. Maybe I'm really glamorizing the act of mending, but <laughs> you know. Um yeah, definitely definitely, definitely. And I, I mean I don't think I don't think it's glamorizing mending. I think also Lars mending your clothes is a revolutionary act is is true it's it's something that people do not do and it doesn't take too much to be able to you know mend something that's broken or um there's a there's a new not a new there's a sustainable brand that i follow um and it's just this one lady and she makes i think they're two-piece sets and she makes them out of old uh, tea towels and tablecloths lydia bolson uh and yeah so she makes these two pieces out of um, like old linen and often they have stains on and on the stains she embroiders little flowers and stuff and that's mm -hmm. that's not a hard thing to be able to do and then you don't have to throw something out like you said yeah so yeah and it's empowering to be able to do something yourself like we have been really disconnected from production um in in these like you know quote-unquote developed nations like we don't know how anything is made like at all like we don't know how our food is grown we don't know how clothes are made we don't like we literally don't know anything we just know how to buy and so i think like by learning how to mend it's reconnecting you to the practice of, of labor um and 
I think gives you a deeper appreciation for how things are made in general, because you're like, oh, if it takes this much time to put on this button or to add this patch or to do this embroidery, like now you have to start thinking, oh, well, like how much time and labor did it take to make this piece of clothing that I'm mending right now? Mm -hmm. And then you know, that kind of bleeds into all the other products in your life. You start to question things. Definitely. I I don't know if, if you're on TikTok or see any TikToks at all. Uh, maybe not because of the, the, the technology. Um, not sure about how I'm feeling about it, but I recently joined TikTok not to out myself as as a, <laughs> a near millennial, but I did recently join TikTok. Um, and I've been seeing so much about, um, I think Zara recently put out a crochet dress and everyone went wild for it and it sold out. Um, and all these small crochet makers were coming on TikTok and saying, this dress is hundreds of hours of crocheting. You cannot crochet by machine. If I were to make this dress, I would have to charge a hundred, a hundred pounds minimum and Zara are charging 50. L like make that connection in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I think people don't really want to acknowledge how slavery is still a huge thing on this planet in so many industries, but definitely, definitely in fashion and mm -hmm. food. Like, I mean, proven, mm. <laughs> like 100%. No, it's awful. And, it's, uh, yeah. I think you're right. There's just such, there's such a disconnect from, from us as consumers to, to those Yeah, because nobody wants to support slavery. No. Nobody's like, nobody, nobody, like that is so, so, so wrong. Mm. And so many of our products, like most of them are made through conditions where labor is completely exploited, hmm. completely exploited to get those kinds of low prices. And like you said, yeah, like there's a complete disconnect because none of these companies are going to be like, oh yeah, we're either not paying people or paying slave wages. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think like through mending or through the act of any sort of creation, you're, you become more connected to the to the process of of labor. Yeah, definitely. And and like you said, so just even embroidering a small flower over a stain is still going to take you. I mean, I embroidered quite a lot. That would still probably take me half an hour to an hour yeah. to do. And yeah, so I was I was really been I've really been thinking about this as well with the with the crochet dress coming out and and just the the fact that that it, it will still sell out in Zara. Um, but yeah, I mm -hmm. think as we were kind of saying, I know technology has its good and bad sides, but I do see a lot of educational stuff on TikTok. I see a lot of other stuff that I'm like, oh, maybe not, but I see a lot of hauls. There's a lot of like haul culture on, on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a lot of tutorials. I mean, I think technology is like a good way for uh, spreading, spreading information as well as misinformation, mm. but uh, definitely, like it's it's like a what was that library? The Library of Alexander, Alexandria, Alexandria. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. We didn't go over that in fashion school. Um, <laughs> that's what the that's what the internet is. Yeah, no, that's it's like all the information in the world, like that we have access to, and that is so cool. And and as far as technology goes, for me, I think like one of the best things that it can contribute to the fashion industry is transparency. And, you know, people have been talking about using blockchain to um, uh, to have transparency in production systems for clothing. Mm -hmm. And I would love to see that because so many companies, you know, are, you know, using using different factories and different things that uh, have abominable conditions and, you know, are like, oh, well, we didn't know, um, you know, because there isn't even transparency 
within the makers, mm. you know? So I would love to see things like blockchain uh, used for the entire production system so that there's like 100% transparency and you can, you know, track a variety of, of different things from like labor abuse to like water usage or whatever it may be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so kind of getting to the end of, of our, our time here. So um, I've got a few final questions. Um, mm-hmm. So I was going to kind of ask just, just what, what do you have in the works? Kind of what's, what's next for you? Have you got any, a new collection or anything? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I'm up to a lot of awesome stuff right now. I'm like really <laughs> genuine, not to toot my own horn. I'm just so genuinely <laughs> excited about it. Um, so I'm not making a new collection right now. I am working on a few other projects. I'll probably make a collection about the pandemic, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, I designed a while ago and it's just been kind of like, you know, hanging out on my, the sketches have been hanging out on my wall, like seven months or something. So I'll probably start those, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, this summer. But right now I am working on the merch for, I I collaborated with one of my favorite museums. Um, It hasn't come out yet, so I'm not going to say what museum it is, but with their merchandise for their new gift shop that they're opening, they basically gave me their banners, their vinyl banners that they have like all around the city. Uh, promoting, you know, the exhibitions. So they're like covered in art from the exhibitions. They're awesome. And so they gave me those banners and I've been making all of the pieces with those. So it's all upcycled, which is really cool. That's really cool. And it's all one of a kind too, um, which is awesome. Like every piece looks completely different. So it's the same vein of what I normally do of, you know, this kind of wearable one of a kind art, but it's yeah. Collaboration with this awesome, awesome museum. That's been such an inspiration to me. So yeah, truly an honor. And then, um, I just got asked to do costumes for an opera happening at another one of my favorite museums. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a modern interpretation, kind of like a, a, a Marxist commentary on Turn of the Screw. And uh, I'm really excited. I get to be really experimental with it. And uh, I've never done costume design for an opera before. So it's going to be awesome <laughs> oh my goodness that's so i every time you say about the things you're doing i always just wish i was in miami to come and see them <laughs> especially when i get the newsletter and i'm like oh, well that yeah, would be quite yeah, and, and, and work and workshops i'm i'm continuing to do workshops because i think they're just really valuable and and i think like educate i want education to continue to be a really big part of um the work that i that i put out definitely definitely well that sounds so so exciting um thanks and just the final question i've got is kind of if you had just the main thing that you think the pandemic has taught you as a designer big Mm. question again sorry it's more of like a it's more of like a what has it taught me as a human kind of situation um but definitely so in fashion design whether you are independent or you're working for a business um it's going to take up your entire life and you know i remember in school we might have even talked about this the last time we chatted. Uh, one of my professors was like, you want a baby? Like, that's cool. Like, you want a family? Like, you want to have fun? It's like, nobody cares. The spring collection needs to come out. So it's like, fashion is just kind of your priority. And 
I think that's a completely unhealthy way to look at anything because like your labor is like like what you do is not your value as a human or even your value to society completely. Um, so I think kind of creating that break and understanding that rest and time for myself, even though, you know, fashion is like my, my passion in life and like I love to do it, it's still important to take time for myself non-fashion related because you can't really create without um, rest. Definitely. And I, I feel this so, so much that I think just in the world, the capitalist world we live in, that that to take time to be like, no, I'm not going to do this thing, even though it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. There's so there's so much of a pressure to to kind of just always be working, always be productive. And then there's the guilt that it, you're not working, you're not being productive and measuring mm-hmm. your success and your identity on the the production of, of what you have created. And it's yeah, yeah capitalism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the root of and all it's evil. just like it's yeah, it really it really is. And it's like, yeah, take some time to yourself and like go to a garden or like read. Mm-hmm. And that um, that feeds back in as well to what we started with of the disconnect between the world, the natural world around us and, and us as people and how interconnected it all is and how we have lost mm-hmm. that. So yeah. Yeah. Go to a garden exactly. and read. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I'll be I'll be doing I've already done it this week and I'll be doing some more later. Oh my goodness. Week. Maybe I maybe I need to do that. I feel like I've, I'm a bit read out. I uh, handed in my dissertation yesterday, so Yes, wow. Yeah, don't read anything then. Yeah. Burn some. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, go and, go and burn my dissertation somewhere. Um, <laughs> God, what a nightmare. Um, so that's that's really great. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Pangea. Um, it's been really, really great to speak to you again. Um, yeah, thanks, Georgia. Congratulations on uh, your dissertation. That's really amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me. 